Sustainability. It's more, of course, than mere economic sustainability. But it's also more than ecological sustainability alone, which, thankfully, has become the focus of so many initiatives lately. To take a more holistic look at the idea of sustainability, you need to include two additional dimensions, human and social sustainability. So if you want to run a truly sustainable hospitality business, you need to A, look after your guests with excellent service for sustained economic success, B, minimize your environmental impact for ecological sustainability, and three and four, look after the well-being of your staff and the local communities you interact with for social and human sustainability. My name is Lydia Vanderbroek, and I wanted to find out what the best practices are around great service, people development, and ecological sustainability in the field of hospitality and tourism. So I talked to real people in real businesses to hear about real solutions to real challenges, and I'm happy to share their learnings with you. So if you want to become more sustainable, I invite you to listen in to our conversations and pick out some of the gold nuggets that you can hopefully then use in your own operation. And as a side note, every one of my guests has offered to make themselves available for a more in-depth conversation. So by all means, do reach out, connect, and together, let's make hospitality and tourism more sustainable. Welcome to my last episode in 2021 and the first one of 2022, since I just finished recording it the day before Christmas, but I won't publish it until the new year. And it was a very worthy year-end interview partner and conversation indeed. Please meet Monika Schaffner. She was born in Nepal to Swiss parents and her love for Nepal has shaped her life and her work. Among other things, she's part of the project Madi Eco Village, a wonderful way for travelers to get immersed in the local life and culture. Something that I personally was very interested in hearing about for my own projects. So you're welcome to a wonderful conversation about all the challenges of bringing a sustainable tourism project into a very remote part of the world. Enjoy, thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, Monica. Good morning to you. It is the 23rd of December, and here are two very, very dedicated individuals. Thank you so much for taking the time the day before Christmas. Good morning to Switzerland, Monica. Good morning to Lydia. Where are you actually? Well, I sit in Germany, but of course, I'm Austrian. I'm from Vienna, okay. Austria. I okay. must, I just simply must add this that <laughs> yes. it's important as an Austrian to. Make a note that you are not German. Just yes, I, I can understand. Yes. <laughs> okay. Good morning to Germany and Austria. Yes. Good morning to everybody out there. Thank you so much for taking the time. And you know what I realized? You're the first woman I'm talking to on this podcast. Oh, that's very valuable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Can you? I, and it didn't dawn on me. Seriously, it didn't dawn on me until I had you on my guest list. So particularly happy. And it makes me think. Why are there not more women out there? So I need to kind of do something different with my filter, yes, obviously. Yes, so. because obviously I think there are quite some wonderful women in the tourism sector and in many sectors. 
Absolutely. It's good to put Absolutely. That it yeah. is a it is a it is a stronghold of women entrepreneurs yeah. and and managers and leaders. So I took a note to myself to look out in the new year for more female guests. Wonderful guests to bring yes. some gender balance into this. Yes. So Monica, you are not just my first female guest. You're my first European guest, actually located in Europe. Makes me very happy as well. And you, of course, bring a vita to this program that, as I mentioned before, will probably fill three podcasts. And um, I would like to start this by asking you to give us a brief overview of who you are, how you came to be working so closely with Nepalese communities, Nepalese people. So please give us a brief overview of your vita, please. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to do that. So Nepal is a, is a keyword. I was I was actually born in Nepal and I had the beautiful chance to spend my childhood there together with my parents and my siblings. So my father was working for development. He was uh, managing a road construction project in a time when there were not many foreigners in that country yet. So those are beautiful memories of a, of a, of a different time in Nepal when uh, there was still a lot of very untouched nature, also a lot of Poverty, of course, and challenges, but um, we spend a lot of wonderful holiday periods hiking in the Himalayas as a family. So there I had a very fortunate start into my life and that really um, left an imprint on me. I kind of um, dedicated my formational time, so my studies towards uh, getting ready to support the country or to work for and with the country to find ways of, of taking care of the landscape, the culture, this tremendous special place that Nepal is and still continues to draw people there. So that's how I sort of got started into my career, carrying this wish to work within or for Nepal in a, in a positive way. So I studied geography and uh, sustainable development, and I got the chance to do my uh, diploma thesis in Nepal. So I spent a year there as a grown-up, which was one of the best years in my life. I totally enjoyed then worked in Switzerland for several years in the environment sector. Different circumstances brought me to realize that I actually, yeah, to come back to my original plan. So I, I quit my job and I started freelancing in order to really go into where my inner voice carries me. And that brought me back to Nepal. So for the past five years, I've been building up uh, projects and initiatives in the, in the tourism sector because I find the tourism sector brings, has a, a very special potential to really bring together various cultures, of course, but also it touches upon so many fields of sustainable development in a, in a very positive way, because it, on one hand, it, it's about conserving and taking care of the destination, its culture, its nature, but it also brings economic income through taking care. So it's kind of like it bridges this, the need to gain income with the need to take care of, of, of your assets in, in terms of nature and culture. So that's why I landed in the tourism sector. And right now I'm, I'm kind of traveling between Switzerland and Nepal. I'm based in Switzerland, but I have strong ties, of course, with Nepal. And I continue to work with, within the projects and trying to bridge this uh, culture and also location gap and, and bring the, the values together of various of these various places and their people. So it's a bridge between the mountains of Switzerland and the mountains of Nepal. Yes, yes. In a, yeah, that's very nicely said. So how do you come across these projects? Do you come up with your own projects or who do you work with? Uh, there are different um, scenarios. 
network, of course, is, a, is an important part. So in, in Nepal, I have a very diverse network of people I, I, I know and who share my, my values, my intentions. And that's one way, of course, how you can, there's a very, a very creative energy in Kathmandu, in the, in the capital of Nepal, where a lot of people are trying to find ways of, 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 of making the world a better place in Nepal, but also globally. So I could tap into that network. And so some projects came from, from outside towards me. So they were sort of like carried, brought, brought to me and others then kind of came through partnerships that were, that worked well. So like cre being creative together and finding ways to develop new. And then, you know, one, it's really the network that brings it together. One and then of the course, trying to find my, the best place I can work from and where my skills and my qualities can do the best. Yeah. So that's also always a bit of a process to figure out where am I right? That's how the projects come to be. And then of course, bringing in what you find important, make sure that that really makes up part of the project. That sounds so wonderful. So the thing that uh, jumped at me, uh, and I don't even know how, I don't remember, but it's this project you're involved with. It's the Mahdi Village, mm -hmm. right? Mahdi mm -hmm. Village. Um, so could you please give us an overview of what this is? The Mahdi Eco Village, we call Echo it. Village, yes, yes. Right. So Mahdi Eco Village has a very, very holistic approach to tourism. And maybe there, there are several elements that are you know, the uh, important elements. Uh, it's basically an invitation for tourists, guests to come and experience true village life in Nepal in a place close to a very important natural reserve. So the Chitwan National Park is a UNESCO World Heritage Site uh, in terms of um, there's very mm, valuable wildlife there. It's It's a very big forest reserve that has been conserved for, for many, many decades already. So, uh, and so it combines the attraction and the, and the, and the value of the natural reserve, the conservation park, and the opportunity to experience real, like, village life in Nepal in a, in a area that is not yet very much developed in a Western sense. It still carries this remote, pristine sense of village life. And that brings me to the second element that is important for us in this project is to bring to awareness the importance and the relevance, the value of this traditional village life. Because in Nepal, there's, of course, as everywhere on the, on the, in the world, there's this tendency to move towards the globalized modern way of life where you have all the amenities, you have your comfort, which of course is totally um, un, not in question. But through that process, a lot of the old authentic a traditional way of life gets lost, which is very relevant because it's it's authentic. It's very unique to that space, and it's very special. It holds a lot of energy also inside, and that's what many people from the West have lost, and they are in search for. So if if this rural place loses its its charm, its traditional ways, because they are striving for the modern comfort and the modern life, they lose a very very valuable part of what they could offer to tourists. So bringing tourists to that rural area is a way to help raise this awareness of the, of the value of this natural asset they have by bringing in economic opportunities, yeah? So in that way, to, make, to help realize that this traditional way of life, this quiet, this peace, this way of living with nature is so valuable and tourists are ready to come and pay to experience that. So that's... 
the, one of the central elements that we have. So we built the, the, the infrastructure based on, on the very traditional ways of building. So using natural materials, mud, bamboo, wood, to really create this homely sense when you are inside the, ho- the house, but still also making sure that the modern requirements, that they are also there. So you're in a traditional house experiencing that beautiful comfort, but also comfortable in sense of having a clean toilet, having a clean bed, having what you need to feel comfortable as a Western mm-hmm. person. It really struck me when I read about this project, because as I mentioned to you before, the project I'm involved with also uh, take place in rural areas um, right now, primarily in Africa. And the question is always, how do you get, even if you have a hotel, how do you get, how do you allow guests to uh, get to know the, the real life mm-hmm. uh, that's happening in the villages mm-hmm. without driving them with buses through the village mm-hmm. and having the, the villagers just be looked at like animals in the zoo. You exactly. Know? Yes. So h- how do you combine this? And this is what a lot of travelers want, right? They mm-hmm. want the real stuff. Mm-hmm. They right. want to experience a country. Yes. And I mean, these are the people that you and I are really thinking about mm-hmm. when we develop projects. Mm-hmm. So that's why I this really uh, uh, hit me, the this inclusive in a way, an inclusive way of hospitality. Yes. Yes. So it's not a hotel, and then I go look at the at the villagers, but I kind of live with them. But I still I have the the amenities that I'm looking for, and mm-hmm. the you know the security in the way of uh, not getting ill or as much as I can, and and, and all of these things, exactly, right? Yeah. To feel safe and comfortable, feel and still safe be and able to uh, yeah. live within the rural place. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this is this is what I find such an interesting concept. So let me ask you: the um, who thought of this project? I mean, was it let me say you and your partners, or uh, was it somebody in the community who said, you know what, let's open this up, mm-hmm. let's build some more huts and invite guests? How did that go? It was a sort of a combination. So the the very initial spark came from one of the people I'm connected with in Nepal. He is originally from that area, so he's a he's a local, but has um, developed his life in a way that he, he he got his studies in the West. He came back to Nepal and he's working now as a as an engineer. So he was he, and he he approached me with a he, we realized we have the same intentions, so same sort of mindset, same kind of ideas. So he approached me and and with a question if we want to do something together in that area in the field of tourism, and that's where then I could bring in my holistic approach to what I would like to do. So it was kind of a a collaboration between him and me in the first place. And then we realized that we want to uh, work on on sustainable houses, uh, like um, using the the traditional architecture with modern elements. We then approached um, uh, a studio of architects in Kathmandu, who I was connected with. So we brought them on board and they, from their side, brought in a lot of valuable elements, what in, in regards to housing. And then we brought in on board another uh, company from Switzerland who is specialized on renewable energies, uh, resource efficiency. So in that way, our, our project team grew. And then um, our original partner who is from the area, he had already had discussions with various people in that area to find out who would be interested and who would be, where would be a good place 
And we initially had four villages we wanted to work in, but then we realized that um, many of them didn't really want to have tourists in their village. So, and that's, of course, then it's not a, a place to go. And there was one village who was very much uh, willing and interested, eager to, for this sort of new way of doing things, you know, it being innovative within their village, realizing their village has charm, their village has value. And with them together, we then uh, started developing the concrete project in terms of how and where and what what are the prop questions that are there? What do we have to consider from local side? So that's how then it's really a, a process, yeah. And I and I, I I realized, of course, it's it's we know that it's in the in the school book. Don't go and come with an idea, but it has to come from local side. And still, I think bringing in an idea from outside can be valuable because it you come with another perspective and you see the value of something that people on site may think it's not normal. It's, it's just how we live. Yeah. So it was this combination. So it's an existing village mm -hmm. and you're putting up extra houses. Yes. Are they, are they uh, dispersed within the village or is this, is there like an area where the guest houses are located? How did you? So that was one of the main first steps is finding the right place. And, One thing, of course, you need to have land where you're allowed to build on, mm -hmm. and then it should be in the in the right space so that the villagers are comfortable with uh, no, the idea of tourists coming. And then it was also private land versus community land, so there were so also legal issues. And through that process, and and then also considering what where does the development of the village go towards? So there's a road going to be built, and so and then so now we have the 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 sort of the cottages where people then, uh, the, like the rooms, they are part of the village, but a little bit on the side. So they're not in the middle of the village, but a little bit on the side. But still, there are other houses next door, but they are, and they're close to each other. So they're next door, next to each other. And then there's a, a building we call community hall, which will be like the place where you can have dinner, where you can spend time, where the villagers and the community can come, uh, the guests and the community can come together where you can have events, but also the community of villagers can use for their own purpose. And that came to a different location. So it's actually on the other side of the, of the village. So guests would then walk through the village or around the, around the village to get to the place where they would have dinner. Mm -hmm. So that, but that was really also mainly due to where is land available? What makes sense in terms of location? And also the very important question, where will the villagers feel comfortable to have guests stay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How is the ownership? How is that regulated? Mm -hmm. The community hall is on a community land, which is uh, clear. This is for community purpose. And the two bungalows, cottages, are um, located on private land, which is leased for a period of 20 years or so to the project. So... And maybe as organiza organizational point of view, the um, the operators of this of this we call it village stay. They are the community. It's it's a it's a committee that was built of maybe 15 people from the community who are interested in in operating this model. So they are the legal entity that will operate, that will um, manage the finances, and that that are now also leasing that piece of land. Uh, for this purpose from mm -hmm. the private owners. That's super interesting. Yeah. I, I guess that depends on the way the community is organized. In in this yeah. case, this is a m ethnic minority who are traditionally organized in community form. So they also, 
support each other labor-wise. There's this kind of taking turns system. Everyone contributes labor and then you get back and then this family cooks and then it's kind of, it's already within the, 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 the okay. social culture of the, of the, the community. Yeah, mm -hmm. but it's, I guess it really depends. Uh, other models may be that you have one person who is hired as a, as a manager and that people contribute in terms of, of labor with a salary. And in this case, it's really this taking turns. So it's also taking turn who is host, who is, who is going to cook and, and making sure that the turn is really going in, in a circle so that no one is left behind and everyone gets the same amount. Yeah. So if you, what were the biggest surprises when you built this? What, what would you maybe do differently if you going on to the next project, mm -hmm. if you were to replicate this? So for me, yeah, I guess it's two points which are very important for any project where you work, two different cultures work together and where you have this east, west, south, west, south, north, um, partnerships is really, really the, The starting phase is so important to be sure that you are on the same line with what you want to do, that it's really also a local interest there and an engagement. Sometimes it's, it's difficult because you don't figure it out only until it's really work. It's, it's until you start working because then it gets concrete and people start realizing, Oh, this is really about doing it. That's very important. And I guess it's also not. You have to be open for changes. So in our case, we ch we realized that two or three villages they just wouldn't be ready. Some of them said it from their side, and, and uh, in another in in one of the other villages, we just realized because nothing just didn't flow. Yeah, it, we couldn't get anywhere. So and then to be ready to say, okay, this is not a good place to do this. Let's let's focus on 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 this place, and then working with the local bodies, so the the local government, for instance. It's just, it's very, and this is my experience in, in different projects. It's, um, it's really, uh, I think key to find people who are not only willing to benefit in terms of this something coming from outside for our economic benefit and we can just ride on. You need to have local people who are really engaged and eager to, to participate, to take this as their project because it, it's just, The, the tendency of a disbalance between those who have the money and bring money and, and those who are ready to receive the money, but not realizing maybe what it's really about. It's about mm -hmm. commitment. Mm -hmm. So that commitment needs to be there and that eagerness. And I guess maybe in the beginning, it's sometimes difficult to differentiate between true eagerness and just the opportunistic kind of eagerness that, so that's, I think the main learning that we have. So. And to realize after two, three years of working that which, which people you really work with well on the ground, but also the partners you have in your project team. And it's really, if they, if it flows, it flows. You realize that you like going there. People come to the meetings. They're really inspired and the meetings are, are fruitful. And that really then it, it just flows. Yeah. And that it makes sense to focus on those places where it flows because it will also flow in the longer term. I, and like you say, you probably don't know until you're really in the middle of the project already. Yes. So, you'd so there you need flexibility, to yeah, and readiness pilot. to let go. Sure, that's a challenge. Also important to have people on site, be it from the local partners, now in our case from the villagers, be it someone who is close by, who lives close, who knows the culture, to really be there on a daily basis. Okay. And 
and in our case, we have one person from the from the community who's really he's totally engaged, and it's really comes from the heart. <laughs> and we have a very wonderful person who who is the local coordinator. So together, I think without them, we couldn't have continued. Especially now when it's so difficult to travel. Yeah, you need people on site who are truly engaged from their heart to work mm-hmm, on this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that will also in during operation phase, of mm-hmm. course, that will be even more important. Mm-hmm. Someone who is the heart of the project, who is on site. Yeah. who is dedicated truly from inside and not yeah. only because it's a job. So in the villages, win, of course, is an economic gain. Mm-hmm. It's something that helps them become more independent as a, as a community. Mm-hmm. That's I, I bet you that's one of the wins. And did you bring in anything uh, else where you say uh, renewal energy? What else mm-hmm. did you bring into the village that might be a win for the community? Yes. So we had, yes, renewable energy is, a, is an important part. What exactly did you do around? We, um, the, the energy supply is uh, solar energy. So it's an off-grid system. Okay. So you have, you have your solar energy directly fueling your, your system. So that's the, the energy part. And then for us, waste management was very central because that's part of why the village is so beautiful is that the way the waste there's not much waste yet which doesn't decompose so that's where we also carried out trainings so in the first part we assessed what what waste is there how could we deal with this waste in a way to recycle reduce uh, reuse these various um, options and and then we we uh, we conducted trainings workshops with the local people and that was to- very very uh, there was a high resonance to that because I think people really, they know that the waste is there and, and there's more and more waste with this convenience food coming in, the snacks, all this um, outside food coming in. So how, how can we deal with this waste? Because currently it's just burned or it's dumped and that's not, okay. uh, that's not the way to go if there's more, more right. waste coming, yeah. So what are you going to do about waste? Yeah, so <laughs> very good question. <laughs> the problem is, of course, try to reduce so if you, instead of buying um, chips, for instance, for your guests as a snack, make your own chips. And that's kind of break, going back to this traditional way of living. So that's, I think, for me, one of the most important ways of reducing waste. And then we have a, a drinking water treatment, also a local tr- treatment plant. So you don't need to bring in the water bottles. So you can actually use your water directly from the plant. Uh, and then... Problem is on this level, and that's a bit where we got stuck. Is that wanting to for recycling, you need to link into the recycling market, and the recycling market is not really operating that well. At least not for for many fractions, which do not bring in a lot of benefit if you sell them. So those fractions will be difficult, especially in a very remote area where transportation has a cost. So if you, in order to transport these recyclables to a place where they would be recycled, that is not solved yet. So there we're still standing in front of a bit of an obstacle. And also, as long as it's not a truly big problem, we also realize that it's not a priority on a local level. Okay. So if there's no benefit financially, that nothing will happen in the long term. So there we're a little bit stuck. Yeah, that's a challenging Situation because the larger picture, the municipality doesn't have a system, and then it's it's really a. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a national problem. The waste management, and you're not going to solve it with your. You can yeah, you can solve a certain amount on local level, but then you have to be able to tap into the larger market of mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 
how much convenience food, how much plastic you say you say it's a remote area, mm-hmm. how much of the modern day problems that relate to plastic are existing in that in that area? Is it is it a lot? It's volume wise, it's not a lot yet. It's basically it's 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 sweet wrappers, chips wrappers, all these wrappers of of these um, fast food things, and those are really coming in, and those are really consumed because it's modern world. It's it's you know, and it has all these additives that make people want to eat them. So that's coming. It's not a big volume, but its problem is it doesn't go anywhere. You don't have the like in Western countries that every week you can put out your trash can. There's nothing like that. So it's just, it's dumped behind the house. It's dumped into the river. It's burnt, very toxic. So, and, and, and the more people come and the more also in how with the development of tourism, you will, you can expect to have more waste coming. I mean, more products coming that will eventually have waste resulting. So it's, and that's what we were hoping. It's, it's still on a very small scale. So it would be manageable. But then it's maybe a too small scale for it to have an economic um, gain. Are you planning on, I don't know, educating the guests not to bring things? Mm-hmm. And yeah. are you offering, like you say, mm-hmm. make your own chips? Is this part of the offering? Yes, uh, that would be part snacks, of the, yeah, that would tourist. be part of the training of the uh, hosts. So to really also part, it's also about awareness, creating awareness of traditional way of life of the value. You have so if you, you know, you can make your own drinks, you can make your own chips, and it's such a fertile region. You can basically grow anything, and then create a product out of it, which is for us our Western taste. It's beautiful, yeah, special to have a homemade juice, or you have homemade chips, or you have popcorn. All these things are there, so that would be part of training the the hosts in what would they put on their menu, what would they offer to the guests. And of course, through training the hosts on tourism, you also train them on their own potential ways of consuming. And then also for the, for the guests, the, that's part of the um, holistic approach to that particular um, offer. Yeah. So it's how you get there. It's how you behave in the village. Um, and that includes also not bringing waste if possible, uh, drinking water from there and not, you know, being more aware of how you get there, what you consume. So it's really, and that's part of this, that's why it's such, it's a very holistic concept, which includes all different perspectives. All the stakeholders. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. there's, there's no boundaries to that. You can think it as far yes. as you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm already developing a menu in my head. <laughs> yeah. And that's so beautiful. You have the traditional cuisine, the people there, they are actually gatherers, hunters. So they used to go to the jungle and gather herbs and and roots and 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 um and uh, animal of course then also uh, hunt now it's a bit restricted because it's a national park but they still they you know they 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 cook you a fern they cook you roots you never heard of before it's it's a bit hot and spicy for our taste so if you manage to you know shift a little tweak bit it. tweak it a little tweak bit tweak it a little bit and bring in some modern parts maybe some vegetables european vegetables you can make beautiful menus yeah yeah unique to that area i can imagine yeah yeah so um so you mentioned training what and you know i told you this is the area that i come mm-hmm. from so what is the Do you need training? Mm-hmm. Do you train people? What kind of training is going on? Or yeah. do you have on your on your radar coming up? 
Yeah, so I think the main, the most important training is really how to how to welcome your guests and make them give them a feeling of being comfortable. So and and that is very important also because we're in an area where there's not much um, exposure yet to foreign people and how they live and what they need, especially on a you know on a on a very intimate basis when you have people staying at your place. So that is and that's basics like what. Yeah, what are the basics that Western people need that may be different from uh, local uh, domestic guests that you have? So that I think is the first step is really to to bring that training. It's also about how you, you know, basic 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 language that you need, basic ways of how you yeah what what is needed so that uh, Western guests feel comfortable. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and then uh, cuisine. So f- f- uh, what what menus. What what you have to look after for the for the food hygiene, of course, is part of that, and then the sustainability part. And there, I I mean, this is still on the radar because we we are a little bit behind because of the of the current global situation. And currently, there are no Western guests ready yet to go there, so it's 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 sort of in the in this um in this stage between the limbo. Yeah, exactly. Um. So and and for the for the sustainability part. I can. I also see a very beautiful um, ch- opportunity in working together in developing, for instance, the cost. You know, the soaps that you would uh, give. The there's so many ways of reducing waste in using locally available material, herbs. Um, just thinking together, how can we do this to make it just minimum waste, maximum authentic, maximum local, and that's where. There's yeah, there's still a huge potential which is still sort of waiting for the right moment because it's still so much rooted with nature, so close to nature. There's so many ways you can sort of bring in nature into the life of uh, and and the experience of the, the tourists. So they are situated next to a national park or bordering to a mm-hmm. national park. And I know you're an outdoorsy person. So are you bringing any of those ideas into the project? Is it? Do you have any plans of bringing tourists, of making tours mm-hmm. uh, of any sorts? Mm-hmm. Is that is that part of the program? Yes, I would like to, of course, then include this stop in Madi for a few days in part of the the tours I offer in Nepal, so that's uh, sort of an, another another part of what I of my work, and and Madi will be included, of course, in in this in these trips for people who are interested in going to the south. So Madi is in the southern part of Nepal, in the lowlands, and uh, and in Madi, yes, so you can easily stay there just in the village and relax, not too much, or you can go on morning morning walks are beautiful because it's still fresh and. The birds are in the trees, and it's it's very it's a very special time of the day. Um, when we were there last, we were we had the chance to take a tour with a very local person who has been in the jungle for his whole life. So he took us along a river to a waterfall, and these are off the track um, uh, tours. So because as I as I mentioned, it's it's a very famous national park, and our our project so Madi is like it's it's located sort of on the side between the park and the Indian border. So it's a little bit off the route. Yeah, People no, don't normally come there. And the main tourism happens on the northern side of the park. So there you have all the guided tours, the safaris, the jungle lodges, and everything happens there. While in Madi, you, you're from on the other side. 
So there, if of course you have to be co- conscious about the restrictions and what what are the rules and regulations of the park. But there are many sites that you can walk from Madi from our place to see areas that are very local still. So, and that would then be important also to keep it low key and keep it low impact, so that you just walk in, come out without having too big mass movement happening. Yeah, and I suppose that's going to be one of the challenges, right? Because it needs to be sustainable economically mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to yes. bring people in, but how do you keep the balance? Yes. Yes, I think that's a problem. That's a that's um a challenge worldwide. It's a challenge now also in the Swiss mountains. The more it's it's a beautiful tendency. People are, you know, feel drawn back to nature. But on the other hand, if there are too many people out in nature, it just gets too busy and, and noisy and, and the waste is is is, is, is there's a waste. Um, so the impact um, increases. And for me, the way forward there is really about consciousness, about the awareness. How do I behave in nature? Do I, I take back whatever I, I bring in? I don't leave any traces. I, 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 you know, I take down the noise level. I become more conscious of what I experience. So that's, and that goes for, for, for Nepal, for Madi, that goes for, for, for here in the, in the West. I think that's really the key there to bring more consciousness in how I behave, how I interact, how I connect with nature. And and in pristine places, it's even more important, but it's also even more powerful if you actually manage to walk quietly and just take in what you feel and feel, you know, behave as a guest in nature and not as a, you know, dominant person coming in and taking what you need and leaving everything there. So many places that that are pristine, as you say, large owners, for example, make their stays very, very expensive because they don't ha- they only have a very limited amount mm-hmm. of, of rooms mm-hmm. of places that they have or that they want to have there. So there there comes again the question of the balance, right? If you mm-hmm. make it super expensive, then it's uh, it's very exclusive. luxury. Then it's an, an absolute luxury. What's your What's your take on that? Should Should is is the way forward, or or what's your What's your What are your thoughts around that? I I, I feel it's it's a it's a valuable sector that to have exclusive natural experiences on a very high quality and high price level. I think that's a beautiful sector that is worthwhile to, to work on and and also to offer. But I feel it's very very important to have a I call it maybe a mid mid segment, mid price segment, but also eventually to have sustainable tourism going all the way down to the very budget traveler sector, because that's we, that's where the may, most of the people are. Are there from mid to the low budget place, and it's important that that tourism generally becomes more sustainable. So um, for me, it's it's yeah. I guess. Quality comes before quantity, so quality is important. It's important to to ensure quality and quality also in terms of sustainability. And quality has a certain price, so going just trying to uh, press press mm-hmm. down the price as far as mm-hmm. possible on, at the cost of everything else is not the way to go. I think it has a certain price, cost price, but that also has to be um, be uh, honest, yeah. So in terms of fair fair pricing. Mm-hmm. For Madi, we are at a sort of mid price level, which is okay. affordable for for uh, for a large part of European travelers, but also for uh, the maybe the middle class in Kathmandu, so domestic travelers. 
But then if you have a higher price, you need to ensure the hospitality quality is there. So if you don't have that, it won't work out either. So you need to be somewhere there in, in the middle. Quality, a beautiful place, but with a price that is affordable to, to let's say, it's not, it's always uh, difficult to talk about these levels, but to a sort of larger range of audience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who is conscious and ready and willing to experience this kind yeah. of place. Yeah. Well, my, my thought is that we need to make this the new normal, right? Eventually. Exactly. Like you say, we yes. need to, eventually, it's not going to be this huge thing that a hotel or a project is sustainable because what else should it be? It must mm-hmm. be sustainable. Exactly. Because right? everything yes. that's not sustainable is just not sustainable, right? <laughs> right. Totally. Yes. So, so this yeah. is, yeah. So we need to get to that part where it's, like the iPhones or something, right? It needs to reach a level where it's just the, the standard yes. of, of, of ways, yes. right? It's totally. Just, yeah, I agree. Yes. So um, I'm conscious of time, yet um, I'm curious, you, you don't have huge numbers of rooms to fill <laughs> at, at, at Madi Village, but still, how? what is your plan on, on, on filling the, the cottages? Good, uh, good question. So I think that comes after still a little bit longer down the line. Currently, we're, we're, um, occupied with making sure that it, the quality is there and that the, the hospitality works in, in, a, in, a, according to the holistic concept that we have. So that's a little bit further down the line. And there again, it's about network. I guess it's really about linking in. We had the, in my opinion, a beautiful concept of linking Madi with a with a sustainable tourism sector in Nepal as a way to add another stop to the um, tourist loop that you would offer to your guests. And there was I I was able to talk to several people, uh, actors of the sustainable tourism scene, and there would be an interest to link in. So to say, let's let's go to Madi for three four days to really experience village life. Also for for maybe a high end. Um, resort so that they have this on their sort of activities list. You can go to Madi for three, four days. And that would also then be win-win in terms of hospitality, support and training from that high-end place. So to have that that kind of way of working together and bringing guests. And then um, at the moment, as you say, we have two cottages. That's not where we want to stop. That's uh, sort of the very first starting point. And either it catches up on its on its own from the village initiative from the village or from neighboring village that they realize oh this is beautiful let's do let's add more houses on our own it's not a difficult task they were part of the building process so they know how it was done and they have the materials so that could easily be caught on which also then sort of calls to the self you know self initiative of the of the local community and then we're also hoping to to um connect with other areas, maybe build something similar in other areas. So just to spread the idea also and to sort of be part of this movement, as you say, it's, it's coming as yeah? sustainable tourism, the, 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 the wish of, of, of visitors to, to, to go up to a place that is meaningful, that is true, true experience. So there to, 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 uh, to tap into that, um, bring my own guests when I come. So as it is still very small, we don't really have to worry about filling, mm-hmm. but it, 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 I, I hope to tap it into these various initiatives and, and the networks that are there so that to be able to promote the okay. place also. Yeah. So let's assume Corona is over. 
<laughs> let's That's just a good let's, let's just pretend Corona is over. Mm-hmm. Say by I don't know Easter. Sounds, sounds like good. Yeah, let's, sounds let's good. just have it over with by Easter. <laughs> then what would your next projects be? Obviously, you need to uh, put some life into Madi Eco Village. Yes. What else? What else is on your What else is on your bucket list of things to do? So currently, if you ask me directly, what I'm um, hoping to work on in the next, in the very near future is, as I mentioned, my, my, the trips, the Himalayan journeys, I call them, where uh, I would like to bring people who are really conscious and ready and willing and interested in de- experiencing the country from a more deep, more conscious level, be it in Madi, be it in the Himalayas. That's where I'm, I'm putting my, my, my energy into at the moment. And as you say, I think Madi has still quite some steps that I would like to work on. So I, I focus on that for the moment in terms of project and then be open and see if there's interests. And as this project started also people or, or initiatives coming towards me, requests coming, opportunities opening to reach out and start to distribute or to spread this, this concept in other areas, be it in existing places I want to upgrade or be it to start something from, from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, that let's let's fantastic. have it over with and <laughs> yeah, let's just finish up the whole let's just finish up the whole corona thing and let's get back to, to the things yeah. that we really enjoy yeah. doing. And I really appreciate you sharing this, Monica. And uh like you said in the beginning, you know, this is something that other people might want to pick up on, right? Mm-hmm. And say, mm-hmm. Well, I have a community here, we could do this. Yes. You've 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 been there. You've done that. We can learn from you, mm-hmm. and maybe this this was just the first step towards realizing and and taking this concept and uh, not replicating it, but taking it and applying it to yes. a local culture in Tanzania or yes. in Vietnam, right? Yes, I'd love to. I think sharing experiences and growing together and spreading. You know, then you have so many more ways of spreading your reach becomes so so more wide and and large if if people work together because you can't do it all on your own you know you know so and uh, everybody focus. does makes their own experience yes. and we don't have to make all of the mistakes exactly exactly <laughs> the same ones right we can learn from others we can learn and then, and then and connect together maybe connect. you know That's right. create create uh, co-create products or yeah. offers and yeah. and and really i think that's really the way to go in order to spread and, and grow this, this, uh, this way of tourism, which is, uh, as you say, should become the new normal. We'll make it a new normal. Yes. Everything starts with an idea, right? Right, right. Yeah. So thank you again so much for taking the time. This has been very, very inspiring. I have all sorts of ideas in my head now, and this is exactly what I wanted to finish the year off with. So thank Wonderful. you very much again my for pleasure. taking the time. And I wish you all the best for your travels and for your projects. And uh, I'm pretty sure that our path will cross again. I look forward to that moment. Yes. Thank you so much for this platform, for creating this this beautiful way of exchanging and sharing. Thank you. Thank you. And a Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas to you and a wonderful time (laughs) between the years to you. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Monica and I hope you could take away a thought and inspiration or two for your own projects. I know I certainly did. If you want to get in touch with Monica, become part of this network that is indeed needed in order to make sustainability the new norm, you can find her on LinkedIn. That's Monica Schaffner, S-C-H-A-F-F-N-E-R. 
or on Connecting Spaces, monikaschaffner.biz. So thank you. Thank you so much for being part of this. Have a good, have an impactful year. Stay healthy and stay awesome. Bye-bye.